You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. It's great to be with you um, all this morning. Uh, my name's uh, Devon. I'm one of the pastors at um, Cross Culture in the city, and it's a joy to um, be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, my Thank you for praying as well for um, my wife, Nat, and I, as we've just had our Uh, first daughter Ellie who's now six weeks and so thank you for praying and supporting us through that as well. Um, Today is our final sermon in this series that we've been doing on the statement of faith. Um, These are really core things that we believe um, that unite us together as a church Um, and so today we're in the last topic of the end times. Um, This is what the statement says. Uh, It says that um, Jesus Christ will return to judge everyone. Um, Unrepentant sinners will face eternal punishment. His people will be raised to live with him forever in his new kingdom. Um, This is a hard word and no doubt it's confronting and it could give rise to many questions. So today we're going to unpack what this means. Um, So let's pray for God's help. Lord, lift our eyes um, to the glories contained in your word. Lord, help us not just to know it and believe it, but to love it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Thinking of the future can either um, excite you or it can trouble you. Um, Significant um, milestones or events in life can cause us to think about what lies ahead. Um, So, for example, when we graduate, when we finish high school or uni, you look forward to um, work or a future job or career. Um, Maybe when you get into a relationship, you you start to anticipate life together in marriage and and starting a family. Um, Or when you retire, you look forward maybe to traveling, um, to cruises, or people are planning trips to Israel for some reason. Um, And you think about what life will be like after you finish work. Um, But there are also um, certain life events that might fill your thoughts of the future with with trouble and uncertainty. Um, I spoke recently with one of my friends whose um, father had just been placed into palliative care in hospital. And for him, with that news, uh, brought on a whole different sort of questions of the future. Um, Questions we don't often like to think about. Questions like, what will life be like without them? And of course, what what happens when we die? And so when events like these happen, your mind can't help but go to the future. Uh, They confront us to think about the end. We, We ask, where are we going? And does anything exist beyond this life? Um, Sometimes our lives can feel so busy now and and just filled with activities that thoughts of the future like this can feel so jarring. They can kind of feel out of place. But what we'll see, these are questions we can't ignore uh, because how you live now is always shaped by what you believe about the future and the decisions that you make now will be shaped by what you believe lies at the end. So let me ask you this question. As you think about the future, do you look forward to it or do you dread it? 
Um, in Christian theology, we call a study of the future. We use um, this word eschatology. Um, when Jesus left the earth, he promised he'd come back. And so eschatology looks at what the end will be like when Jesus returns. Uh, but this has led to a lot of confusion because uh, through the history of the church, our talk of the future has, has often left us with conspiracies and fear. Um, Maybe your mind goes to world wars or natural disasters as we ask, what will the end be like? Um, even for Jesus' disciples in that passage that was read for us, when, when they thought of the future, their hearts were troubled too. Um, they knew Jesus would die and he was going to depart. And so maybe like us, their minds couldn't help but go to what lies at the end. But here Jesus speaks about the future, not to trouble them, but to comfort them. Um, Not that the Bible won't have anything tough to say about the future, but all these things are written to prepare us so that when the end comes, we, we don't need to fear. Instead, we might even long for the future to come. Um, so that's my aim today, that as we look at what the end will be like, it'll prepare us, but also excite us for what lies ahead. Um, so we'll look at um, this in, in three aspects, um, return, judgment, and renewal. Uh, first, the end of history will be defined by the return of Jesus. Because when, actually, when we speak about the end times, we're actually already in the end times. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is the definitive sign that the end is near. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes the resurrection as first fruits. This is the beginning of the end that signals our future resurrection. And so we look to the resurrection as this sure sign that this life isn't all there is and that there is life beyond the grave. Um, There's a popular phrase, you might have heard it before, called YOLO, you only live once. Um, It's a phrase that we use to justify uh, taking risks in life, uh, making the most of everything Because this life is all there is. Um, Often we might base decisions on this assumption. This life is all we get. Just enjoy enjoy it while you have it. But I hope you can see that the resurrection is telling us you don't just live once. No, you'll live forever. And so it means the decisions that you make in this life take on an entirely different character. Um, that have implications for the life to come. Um, In this way, the resurrection is setting the direction of history. In in Acts chapter 1, an angel says, just as Jesus was raised and he ascended into heaven, he'll come back in the same way. Jesus' return will be visible and physical. And when Jesus returns, Peter says, the end of the world will come. The old life on earth will pass away. And new life will begin. Um, Contrary to many Hollywood movies, what will cause the end of the world is not ultimately up to us. Um, It won't be a nuclear weapon. 
it won't be climate change. It won't be um, artificial intelligence. It won't be chat GPT. No, the Bible says the end of the world will be defined by the return of Jesus. Um, but when will this happen, right? Uh, we don't know. Might happen in our lifetimes? Maybe not. Um, Jesus himself says he will return like a thief in the night, an hour you won't expect. Um, Paul says uh, Jesus' return will be like labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. It'll happen suddenly. Um, Because of this, um, some people have become preoccupied in trying to work out exactly when Jesus is coming and They've tried to match up events of the Bible with world events. This is just an example. And tried to come up with calculations, trying to predict the exact date of Jesus' return. But each time, it's been wrong. Um, The most recent prediction, Jesus was coming back in 2021. That didn't happen. Um, So they pushed back the the prediction to 2024. But you, you see, that's not how a thief operates, right? A thief won't call you ahead of time telling you he's coming back in 2024. No, if you, if you try and work it out, you're wasting your time. No, the way we prepare for Christ's return isn't to work out exactly when it's going to happen, but it's to always be prepared. Um, Paul says this, he says, remember, you're, you're not in darkness For this day to surprise you like a thief. You don't need to worry why you are children of the light. The future isn't something for us to fear. It's something for us to anticipate because Jesus is coming back to bring you home. Um, When Nat and I, when we were expecting um, the birth of Ellie, um, it just felt like those last few weeks, it felt like she was never going to come out. Um, We were ready to go at 36 weeks. Everything was ready. Um, But the pregnancy just kept dragging along uh, past 40 weeks. Um, And so lots of time was spent waiting and just not knowing. Um, But the good thing was um, that our bags were packed and they were ready by the door. So in one sense, by 36, we didn't really need to worry about when the labor would actually happen. Because when it was time to go, the bags were packed and we'd be out the door. Um, In the same way, we don't need to fear Jesus' return. You just need to have the bag ready. Uh, How do we do this? Um, Verse 8 tells us, with the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of salvation. How can we be ready? Paul says, simply by believing and trusting in Jesus. He says, just keep going faithfully in your relationship with him, with with faith and love and salvation. Paul says, if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, you have nothing to fear. Um, Which brings us to our next question, that when Jesus does come back, what will will he do? Um, Which brings us next to the reality of his judgment. Uh, Revelation 20 says that at the end of time, books will be opened. These books are a record of everything every person has ever done and will be judged by what's written in these books. 
Now, the sobering reality of the end is that this whole time, God has been keeping a record. Um, He's been keeping a record of everything you've ever thought and said and done. And when Jesus returns, everything that's hidden in secret now will be brought into the light. Um, When we see the, the devastating effects of sin and Um, of of sin, abuse, and corruption in our world that can so easily and conveniently be covered up, Um, we cry for justice, don't we? Um, We hate to see oppressors get away with it. We long to see evil brought to justice. Um, And that's exactly what will happen at the end of time. Jesus will come back to put every wrong right. And that's good news. But the truth is, will be included too. There'll be a day of reckoning where everything will be revealed. Um, All the ways we've treated people for better and worse. Um, All the secrets of our hearts will be made public and laid bare before a holy God. Um, In 2015, um, the website Ashley Madison was hacked and... Um, It revealed all um, the user's uh, data and all personal information. Um, Ashley Madison was a website that connected users um, who wanted to have an extramarital affair with one another. Um, And ironically, the the slogan for this company was, life is short, have an affair. Um, YOLO. But when all this personal information was released, it came to light that celebrities were using it government officials, even Christian ministers were using this website. Um, And in the future, it won't just be our website use, it won't just be Ashley Madison, but actually everything is going to be brought into the light. Life is short, yes, but consequences from this life will last well beyond the grave. In verse 13, verse 13, Yeah, verse 13, um, it says, Everyone will be judged according to what they've done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so on that day, God will deliver a verdict based on what we've done. And for those who haven't placed their trust in Jesus, they will be judged. Um, Of course, we we don't like talking about hell, Um, but Jesus speaks about hell more than he speaks about heaven, so so we can't avoid it. Um, The Bible describes hell as a place of fire and darkness and torment. It's a place of punishment for all the ways we've sinned against God and others. Um, these These are metaphors of what hell is like, of fire, torment, darkness. But that doesn't make it any better because in reality, it's far worse. Hell is at its core, it's the complete absence of the goodness of God. Um, Paul describes hell as being shut out from the presence of the Lord. And if James is right that everything good comes from God, then his absence can only be darkness and chaos and despair forever. Um, This is how the author, Rebecca McLaughlin, how she describes hell. 
She says, if Jesus is the bread of life, losing Jesus means starving. If Jesus is the light of the world, then losing Jesus is darkness. If Jesus is the good shepherd, losing Jesus means wandering and alone. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then losing Jesus is eternal death. And if Jesus is the Lamb of God's sacrifice for our sins, losing Jesus means paying the price ourselves. It's hard to accept, isn't it? Uh, But first, I I want us to consider a few things when it comes to hell. First, if there is a God, well, we should expect that he would punish sin. um, Because as humans made in the image of our creator, when we see evil in the world, we demand justice, don't we? The yearning of this human heart for justice is a foretaste of a God who's perfectly just where every wrong will be made right. And so, if it's right that justice should be done, the next question we need to ask is, by what standard should evil be judged? Um, Sure, we might say, of course, Hitler deserves to be there. Stalin deserves to be there. They committed mass murder and genocide. But that's a pretty loose standard, right? I mean, what standard should God apply? And now, if God is perfectly good, if he is just, then he must judge evil by a perfectly good and righteous standard, shouldn't he? And so there cannot be any compromise, no matter how big or small, nothing can be overlooked. It means it's not just murderers who deserve help, but all the ways we've hurt others. And and, and to that, you might say, sure, I I get that that um, punishment needs to be done. But hell can seem a bit disproportionate, can't it, to some of the relatively small sins we we commit here on earth. And that's where we need to realize that sin in the Bible is fundamentally relational. Sin is a rejection of our relationship with God. Um, And so as we sin, we say we don't want a life with Jesus. We don't want to accept his salvation And so hell is essentially God giving us what we want. When we ignore God, when we ignore his salvation, we say to Jesus, please leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And and hell is exactly that. Hell is the absence of the goodness of God. No, the, the reason I think why Jesus speaks of hell more than heaven is because hell is real. And in his kindness, he wants to prepare us so that we can tell others about the coming judgment. Uh, Revelation says, um, we go to the next slide, sorry. Uh, Revelation says that when Jesus returns on the clouds, it says, every eye will see him, all tribes on earth will wail on account of him. And so, in fact, the most terrifying thing about the future isn't Satan. We don't, it's not the Antichrist. It's not the mark of the beast. No, the most, terrible, the, the most terrifying thing of the future is, is Jesus, actually. Jesus is the one we must fear and take into account. Um, Acts 17 says that God has fixed a day when he'll judge the world. It's coming. And so we, we, we plead with you now, please turn to Jesus 
and be saved. Um, Even for us who've been here a while, you might have grown up in church. We need to honestly examine our hearts, mine mine included. We need to ask, do we have a real relationship with Jesus? Because ultimately that will define everything. Um, As these books will be opened, I'm not looking forward to what's in there. I know these books will condemn me. But thankfully, another book is opened. Uh, a book called The Book of Life. Uh, if you go to the next slide. And in this book are the names of everyone who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Um, so as these previous books contain all your deeds, good and bad, it's ultimately the book of life that will save you. And because of this book of life, all our, our sins and our failures, all the ways we've hurt others, will be revealed as forgiven sins. Sins that have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And so now, remarkably, for believers, all, uh, all our judgment isn't working out, out the extent of our punishment now, but it's about working out the extent of our reward. Isn't that incredible that God will look at our sins and He will say it's covered? He'll look at our good deeds and He'll reward them. He will, he will delight to honor and reward those things done in his name of sinners saved by his grace. Um, Dane Ortland says that we think the default destiny of all people should be heaven and that hell's reserved for people that are particularly bad. But he says, no, in, in truth, our default destiny is hell and heaven is reserved for people that have the honesty to admit it and that look to Jesus. And so he says, in this way, the real scandal of the universe is not that there's a hell that's deserved by all, but that there's a heaven offered to all. Um, Which brings us to um, the last, final, and most glorious reality of the end, the renewal of our world. You know, praise God that, that hell and judgment don't get the final word. But the goal of all creation, the culmination of all God's work is the reality of heaven and the new creation. And so if you think about it, if hell is the absence of the goodness of God, then heaven is the place where God's glory and his presence are felt perfectly and completely. Um, The picture of heaven in Revelation 21 isn't so much about souls going up to heaven It's about heaven coming down to earth to restore and renew our world. Um, In heaven, we won't just be souls floating around in the air, but we'll be resurrected with physical bodies living in a physical world. You know, we can sometimes think of heaven as this never-ending church service um, where we'll just sing How Great Is Our God forever on loop, forever. Um, And that may not excite you because sometimes it's hard enough to sit here at church for an hour, (laughs) let alone think about doing this forever. Um, But you'll see in the Bible that, no, heaven is described as a city where we'll continue to work and progress and enjoy creation. Heaven is a place of no more death and decay where our bodies won't get frail and weaker. 
where we won't need to lock our doors, where we won't need to wear face masks. It's it's a place where we won't need to say goodbye to anyone anymore. And so heaven is this city where there's no more mourning or crying or pain because even death itself has been thrown into the lake of fire. And finally, verse 2, heaven is described as a wedding. It's described as the marriage supper of God with his bride, who are his people. Um, One of the privileges that I get as a pastor is I get to conduct lots of weddings. Um, They're lots of fun weddings. Uh, They're also a lot of work. Um, And so I can appreciate how much time and effort and thought goes into them. Um, Getting a nice venue, um, cake, photographers, flowers, speeches. Um, The bride wears a beautiful white dress. Uh, The groom, well, we get him cleaned up for the first time in his life. And we get him in a suit. Um, And see, so much time and effort goes into the setting and the occasion. But then you get to the day itself. And what the celebration surrounds isn't how great the venue is. Hopefully you don't just remember how good the food was or how bad it was. No, what really matters on the day is the relationship, right? So it's not the venue that creates the wedding, no. No, the venue, the setting only accompanies the beauty of the relationship that's been created and celebrated. Um, I often wonder what heaven will be like and um, will there be our beloved pets? Uh, Can I play golf? Um, Will I get to do my favorite pastimes? Um, But sometimes um, when we think about heaven, we actually don't have a place for Jesus. We leave him out of the picture. Um, We want a world, yes, with no more sickness and death. We don't want any more conflict and sadness. That's good. But sometimes our longings for heaven don't have anything to do with Jesus. And perhaps we want the nice wedding venue without the wedding. We want want it without the marriage. Um, But you realize there's a place for a there's a word for a place without Jesus and it's called hell. And so you see, as exciting as these questions might be about the new creation, ultimately what makes heaven beautiful is being with Jesus. The one who created you, the one who died for you and who's coming back for you. If you don't love Jesus, you won't love heaven. Um, At the beginning, we asked this question, are you looking forward to the future? And I think one of the reasons we might not is because though we believe, yes, Jesus is coming back to judge and renew the world, it's kind of hard to know what that'll look like. Um, And honestly, um, sometimes it's, it's very hard to conceive of a place called heaven Um, Even harder to believe that we're going to be there. We're going to make it there. Um, I do a lot of good things in life, I think. I also do a lot of bad things I'm ashamed of. And so ultimately, for me, I think it's a struggle to believe in grace. I think that's the real struggle. Um, As Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them, Thomas asks the very logical question. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Um, Unlike other religions or worldviews, 
with Christianity, there's no step-by-step instructions on how to get to heaven. There's no formula. There's no map. And so when we die or when Jesus comes back, how will we know the way? And so this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. God doesn't provide us a map to get into heaven. No, he, he provides a person. A person who on the cross endured the full torment of hell in our place. And so if you're unsure about heaven, you look to the cross. Because that is already the place of your hell. The eternity of hell has already been paid for you by Jesus on the cross, who experienced the absence of God, who experienced the extent of God's wrath against sin. Um, If you've ever uh, stepped off a plane into a foreign country, um, you don't quite know what is going to await you on the other side. You might not speak the language there. Um, You're not quite sure how to navigate through immigration or customs. You might not know how to get out of the airport and make it safely to your destination. Um, But then as you step onto the other side, you see someone holding a sign. um, And it's got your name on it. And that person guides you all the way to your destination. And so... You might not be entirely certain of what the future holds. But I hope you can see that Jesus says, you don't need to find your way to heaven. Now he says, I'm going to bring you there. And when you get to the other side, Jesus says, I'm going to be waiting for you. I'm going to be standing there with the book of life with your name on it. And it says, welcome home. So Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that on the cross, Jesus has taken our hell in our place so that we can experience endless heaven with you. Lord, even as the future can fill us with uncertainty, help us to Place our confidence in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, who promises to bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen.